A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Curzon Film Podcast. In this episode, we wave the farewell into cinemas and talk to Lulu Wong, the film's director, who turned a podcast episode into a multi-million dollar success. Call us anytime, Hollywood! <laughs> Plus, we take a look at For Summer, the documentary that has stunned audiences with its frontline portrayal of war. I'm Jake Cunningham, and I've gathered the family all around to share in a hearty dinner of discussion. Joining me this week, we have my stereo siblings, Stephen Ryder. Hello. And Kelly Powell. Hello. And your strange uncle of audio, <laughs> Sam Howlett. Hello. It's nice to have you back. Man. Thanks. It's always nice to be here. Yeah. I always uh, dread these intros. <laughs> Why? They're really nice. They're fun for us. Yeah. I mean, when Jake does the intros, it sounds like he's enjoying it. And when you do it, you sound like you want to die. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty accurate. <laughs> um, so we are going to talk to Lulu Wong in just a bit uh, and dive into the farewell. But we will start with For Summer. And uh, Stephen, it's lovely to have you with us today because I know in our, in our discussions uh, about films, both in the podcast arena and outside of it, uh, you will often berate perhaps me and Sam for, for our ability to add an extra star on something when, when you feel maybe it doesn't deserve it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this week you have... If anyone is following Stephen on Letterboxd, you have given both of these films five stars, which in anyone else's world is six stars. <sighs> yeah, it's weird. It's a weird one. I've not, I've not been, you know, I've not called many movies that I've seen this year completely perfect. Uh, the only other one is another Curzon release, actually, Parasite, is is the only other film I've seen this year that I would consider you know, up there with these two. But the emotional reaction I got from both The Farewell and For Summer, it was difficult to not look at these films and say that they did exactly what they were supposed to do um, for me as an audience member. Um, And so there aren't, for me, two films that I've had as much as a visceral reaction to this year as these two. And, And for that, I think... That's why they're both so important. Yeah. Um, I'll just give some background quickly on For Summer. Um, so when the Arab Spring came to Syria in 2012, uh, Wad al-Khatib uh, picked up a camera and began filming the revolution for five years under Assad's brutal assault. She kept filming and this film captures that journey as she marries her partner Hamza and gives birth to her daughter Sama, who the film is dedicated to. Uh, and it becomes a justification of why they remained in this war zone uh, and that's covering not just these daily assaults on Hamza faces and the front line, um, but also those those quiet, joyful moments in between uh, that come with raising a child and uh, the the little bits of innocence that are are captured within the destruction. Um, 
and Stephen, you are yeah, you're very passionate about this film, and uh, I know it's, it's a tough sell. Like even I'm sure listeners who may have heard that synopsis um, may may immediately think, um, perhaps similarly like uh, Capernaum that we spoke about earlier this year, that this this sounds like a lot. This sounds like too much. I'm not sure if I want to go through this, um, but it is something that people should be taking themselves to the cinema to see. Yeah, I mean this. Um, there are there are things that we might talk about during the kind of discussion for this that people will not think make a you know nice Sunday afternoon or a Tuesday night out with with your girlfriend or boyfriend um but this is a film that kind of has completely changed my mind about my perception of how I see what's happening in Syria right now basically um you see so many images and so many kind of um so much destruction um especially in Aleppo and um, very rarely have I seen um, footage or a documentary that goes into it in so much kind of human detail um, about how to survive or how to persevere um, through the fact that, you know, we're sitting in London right now in a podcast studio, but there is an actual war going on that's been raging on for years. And this film, more than anything else, reminded me that it's an inescapable kind of truth for so many people. Um, it's a film that, I, when I was sitting and when I was watching it, I was I was completely not expecting this, but I had tears streaming down my face multiple times during the film. I haven't cried since like uh, at a movie or a TV show since like the Hey Arnold Christmas special, um, which gets me every time. But this was a completely different kind of uh, reaction that I was expecting. I saw um, uh, another contributor to the podcast, uh, Iana, at the screening, and I said to her, like, oh, we'll, we'll chat afterwards about the film. But um, after the film, I just ran away <laughs> um, because I need to kind of uh, gather myself a little bit. Um, but that's the kind of reaction it got out of me. And this, the the filmmaker, Wad, is, um, it, it feels like just such a courageous film, a brave film to make. And, you know, if people are making these kind of um, documentaries, they're doing it for a reason. Mm. And um, the reason's so clear so evident here um so crystallized that it, it, it's it's it feels as though more people need to see this and just be reminded of what's happening and people might see these images of of destruction of bombings of drones and things like that and in quite an, a very strange way for the 21st century we've almost become familiar with that kind of imagery regularly appearing in our news feeds um and programs and it's it's actually, despite the level of that destruction, um, both uh, kind of geographically and at a human level as well, it's the moments in between that that I think are going to do the most levelling. Yeah, I mean, there are very violent um, images in this film of, um, I mean, to not mince words, there are there are a lot of images of the dead bodies of children. Um, but there is a very, very special scene at the heart of the film when, you know, Wad and her husband get married and... They dance around kind of a, in a basement of a building that's being bombed um, at the time. You can hear the bombs going off around them and they're dancing to kind of Patsy Cline. And it's a really um, touching moment when you realise that this is not happening in a little room somewhere where everything's safe. It's happening in a, in a city that's being torn apart by war, but people are still living their lives as though we would. Um, and that carries on throughout the rest of the film. At no point do you feel as though they've stopped living. They're always kind of going forward with their lives. And that's what gives it such the human element, that and the kind of the way that we see it through children's eyes um, through much of the film as well. But um, that's what makes it such a special film. Yeah. Um, 
and Four Summers in cinemas. Uh, I think I think it will be coming on TV as well. Um, but I think just just to really get a sense of the scale of it, uh, do try and check that one out on the big screen whilst you can as well. Okay, so it is time to move on to the farewell and uh, to talk to its director Lulu Wong. Um, Stephen, do you mind just giving us, uh, as the second of our five-star double bill from you... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, guys. I feel uh, like I'm, I'm talking... No, I like it. I yeah. Like it. Um, what, what is this film about? Uh, so The Farewell is um, a film from American-Chinese um, director Lulu Wang. Um, she has turned a very personal story of hers, we'll talk about the origins of that story in just a minute, uh, into a kind of feature film about a young um, Chinese-American woman who um, finds out that her nai-nai, her grandma, is uh, terminally ill. However, um, the kind of twist to this this uh, narrative is that the family, the extended family, um, don't want uh, the nai-nai to find out that she's sick. They want her to kind of live out her days in happiness and, and peace. And so they uh, fly over to um, to China um, as a kind of big family and stage a, uh, a fake wedding of one of the cousins. And, um, you know, the, the, the story kind of takes from this um, idea of being um, an immigrant who is torn between two cultures and kind of the ethics of whether you can do this and whether you can be that dishonest with somebody um, and just basically about grief and the grieving mm-hmm. process as well. Um, it's taken America by storm and uh, judging by the reaction that it got from the Curzon Mayfair audience last night, um, it's, I think, going to have the same impact in the UK. Yeah, it's got a better per theatre average box office than Avengers Endgame. Mm. Uh, Never heard of that one. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you uh, gave it five stars. Did I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this this film's got a inspiring origin story for us in this room, at least, uh, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Yeah. One day, one day will happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Lulu Wong made a previous film called Posthumous in 2014 that didn't have like a huge international rollout, and then wanted to get this thing uh, made the farewell, but the story just uh, didn't quite capture. The, the funder's imagination and so she turned they kept it into uh, they kept wanting her to put a white guy in there that's <laughs> what you need saying, like, you need the white guy I mean look it's at like, the no, look don't. at the top 10 movies of all time but the box office all white guys <laughs> <laughs> Well, she decided instead to make an episode of This American Life, the popular American podcast series, uh, telling this story and it was that episode that led to her being in a position to get funding to adapt it into a film. Uh, And then we ended up with The Farewell. Um, And Stephen, you were lucky enough to speak to the director, Lulu Wong, about it. Lulu Wong, it's a pleasure to have you here at Curzon Mayfair to do this uh, Q&A on the podcast. Thank Thank you 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 for having me. Um, So... We were just talking about this, actually, before we turned the mics on, but it's been a very, very long press tour for you. Yes. Uh, all the way from Sundance, I think, was it February, March, April? January. January, God. Yeah. Um, and, you know, are you surprised by the kind of mainstream reaction um, from audiences that this film has gotten? Did you feel as though maybe the story was a bit too personal? Or did you think when you envisioned it, like, this is really going to hit home with people? Um, I think it's both, you know, in some ways, like... I've always felt that my family is ridiculous and hilarious. Um, and, you know, also the situation is very poignant. Um, and so, of course, I hoped and in, in some ways felt that it was universal, which is why I set out to make the film. But I think also over the years, being an independent film, you 
start to get cynical and I certainly did and so I thought you know everybody told me that this film was so niche that and be, especially because it's in Chinese and subtitled that um, I, I sort of just didn't have expectations because I fought really hard to make the film as specific as possible so because so, I wanted to make it for myself first and foremost and so yeah it's definitely a, a surprise that even though I, you know, every time there was a suggestion to sort of um, make something broader, more appealing, I would say, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, that despite, you know, me saying no to those things, that this, the film is still uh, as, you know, appealing as it has been to a broader audience. Yeah, I think it's hard to believe you got cynical about it, to be honest, because it feels like a very uncynical film in the sense that um, it explores kind of something that is explored a lot in cinema with, with grief. Um, but it explores it in such a kind of unique and interesting way, um, especially this idea of grieving whilst the person is still around, um, kind of a suspended grief. Was that something that you kind of wanted to focus on in the film, um, that aspect of, of grieving? Yeah, definitely. And uh, I wanted to focus on the details of like, how do you grieve, right? And like, how are you supposed to be? How are you supposed to grieve? How are you expected to grieve in different cultures? How do you actually want to grieve? Um, and then also like, what are you actually capable of doing or not doing? Like you may want to cry, but you don't you, you can't. And then there's times when you're not allowed to cry, but you want to cry, you know, and so like all of those like, little complicated bits um, of emotion and of just trying to figure out within your family even like asking people what am I supposed to do in this moment you know how do you say goodbye is there one way to do it and then how do you do it when you can't even tell the person that you're saying goodbye to that you're saying goodbye well I guess that's um, a question that's almost like you you try to answer in the film is through this idea of um, sharing the burden of grief and um, sharing it or taking it away from somebody else so they can kind of live the rest of their life in, in, in happiness or at least in kind of um, a, uh, an ignorance, maybe. It's a yeah. strong word to use. Um, but the conversation that Billy has with, um, with Haibin mm -hmm. um, is, for me, it seemed like a very central kind of um, core of the film, that conversation. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit about why you included that scene um, about kind of sharing grief and how you kind of manage the actors in that scene? Yeah, um, I feel like that moment is sort of um, comes from the character that you kind of least expect to have the, the most sober sort of explanation. Um, and it's, it's, it's very rational, it's very logical. And, um, it, but it's also really beautiful, you know? And that was a very real moment for me uh, that was not part of the, the week when we actually went back for the wedding, but it was during pre-production. I was already prepping for the movie and my uncle came out to visit. And I just, you know, I said, um, the film is important to me and I'm telling it through my perspective, but I also want to make sure I'm honoring your perspective and the rest of the family's perspective. And I said, you know, little nine, I already talked to me about the reason why she felt the lie was right. And, uh, you know, can you talk to me a little bit about your perspective? And so in a sort of almost like, you know, in a very academic way, he just broke it down. And I was really surprised by how beautiful it was because it was both like very um, logical and very academic, but also emotional at the same time. Sometimes the kind of logical when you strip every all the emotions away, it can actually end up being the kind of most um, eye-opening, yes. I suppose. Um, 
so it must have been scary then, you know, taking this, taking his perception on board and then making this film and then showing it to these people that they were, um, that, that, that the film was basically about or based on. Um, was it a nerve wracking experience for you to do that? Yes, definitely. And my uncle hasn't seen it yet still. Okay. Um, or my cousin who got married or his his wife. Um, but my parents saw it and little nine I saw it and my aunt Gugu, um, she saw it. Um, but yeah, and so definitely it's nerve wracking because you never know how people might interpret the way that you see them and you can do it in the most respectful way but they might find something that they just don't like or they never thought that you saw them in this particular way or whatever so I think um, it's definitely uh, you know an additional challenge in making the film just wait, not knowing what their reactions are going to be and that kind of brings me on to my next question uh, about directing Aquafina in this film does that mean that because obviously Okafina is a cipher for you here and um, your experiences. Did that mean she was easier to direct or more difficult to direct? Um, I think she was really easy to direct because in many ways I separated Billy as a character from me. I didn't want Aquafina to see Billy as me either because I didn't want her to do an impersonation. Um, or any kind of impression and so it wasn't about like my behaviors or my way of speaking or any of that it was really just seeing Billy as a conduit for the audience and um, really if she is all of us you know who who go home and who don't belong in that home and who are navigating um, multiple cultures and so I wanted Nora to channel her own experiences her own love for her own grandmother into Billy uh, it's, really, it's it's a really sweet way of looking at it. And what struck me the most about that performance, I'm not sure if it was your direction or whether it came from Aquina herself, but it was the physicality of it, mm-hmm. um, how she always seems so uh, weighted down or inside herself. Um, yeah. Shoulders are always stooped very low. Yeah. And we're so used to seeing Aquafina like kind of lively and energetic. Um, was that a direction that you gave her that you kind of wanted her to, to have in the film? No, um, actually, when she started slouching like that, I kept telling her to sit up straight. And the, my DP and I would look at each other, and I would be like, Nora, sit up. And then she would do this. And then, you know, we would do one take, and then by the second take, she would be like this again. And so I just couldn't, I just thought, you know, after a while, I just thought, for consistency, let me just let her do whatever. And after a while, I also realized. I don't know if she was doing it consciously, um, but she really embodied, that was part of um, the physicality of the character in her mind for whatever reason, right? Um, And it worked. And yeah, and so throughout the film, seeing her that way, and then the juxtaposition of when she finds herself within the family and she's standing up straight and she's walking with them, you really, you know, see that she finds her place. The Tai Chi scene. And, um, it's just this moment of like really joyous energy yeah. um, that is pocketed throughout the film. But obviously there's also this layer of, of kind of, um, of sadness through mm-hmm. it as well. Um, is that something that you wanted to do, like to drop these moments of like joy and energy? Like the, a lot of the wedding is like that too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I always went into the film knowing that it was going to be this um, delicate balance between grief, pathos and humor and lightness and I think that it's important because um, it helps 
just the film to have balance but also i think that you the sadness hits in a much more unexpected way when you are laughing with these people and it invites the audience in to laugh with the family and i think it brings you closer to the characters and um and also you know that's just kind of the lens through which i see things is sort of the the absurd humor but juxtaposed with um with the grief the space we were trying to find a bigger apartment especially yeah especially the apartment location i think um i mean a bigger apartment in china exactly (laughs) and that's the thing we wanted to stay authentic to my grandmother's apartment we didn't want something super modern we wanted something that was from a particular era um and so um just because it feels so much more like her character um and so it was really difficult to find that and space and so you immediately lose a bunch of space when you bring camera and crew in anyways um but that's why we shot on a wider lens when we were talking about aspect ratios we thought you know at first we might shoot um a four by three which is you know more common uh for is it four by three or four by five? Four by three. Four by three, like, right? Yeah, the square, right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah um, I love it when films are shot in four by three. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and I feel like it's perfect for a family drama. There's a claustrophobia to it. It feels like the walls are closing in. And um, so we talked about that for quite a while. But then we ultimately decided... Um, to shoot um, the anamorphic uh, ratio, but not on anamorphic lenses, you know, so it's like a cinemascope, really wide um, aspect ratio that is normally used for outdoor landscapes. Um, But because anamorphic lenses have distortion on them, we decided not to use the anamorphic lenses. We use spherical lenses because we're shooting faces, so you don't want that distortion. Um, But we cropped it to um, that aspect ratio so that you have this really wide landscape of family, what you would normally use as a, as a frame for mountains and wow. you know rivers or what have you, we decided to fill um, with faces. And, and not have that distortion means that we could cut people's faces off, we could cut people's bodies off, yeah. they could be flowing you know, out of the frame and you feel like this family is so abundant and, um, and so full of life that they you know, fill the screen and that they actually spill out of the screen and there's so much life that we're not even seeing outside of the screen. I love that because a lot of filmmakers would kind of feel maybe a little bit um, intimidated by having to fill that wide lens space with with things um but the fact that you've got so many bodies and so many characters to work with in this film um i think it works absolutely beautifully um so lastly um just before we finish off we're here at curzon mayfair today i don't know if you've seen the screen yet um but it's a sold out screening and it's not a small cinema it's it's one of london's kind of bigger cinemas um and i've read that you kind of fought very hard to get a cinema release for this film and is it kind of nights like this is that why? Like, do you, is there something about the cinema experience that you think can't be replicated elsewhere? Well, initially when I fought for um, theatrical release, it was mostly because I knew that in order to to really, um, do, you know, do a theatrical release, I would have to talk a lot about the film. There would be a lot of sort of grassroots reach out and and having the that, that kind of dialogue with the audiences was really important to me with, uh, to really connect, you know, with different communities, to really take the film to different communities and theaters and Chinatowns and cities like San Francisco which and Vancouver, which have a big uh, Chinese-American population because I just knew that if it's like put on a pl- digital platform, streaming platform, um, a lot of people wouldn't find it, you know, 
and they wouldn't hear necessarily hear about it. And so I like this sort of word of mouth, um, slow build that would be required with uh, an A24, especially released, because that's what they're really, you know, good at. Um, but since we've had the theatrical release, I, it, it made me realize another reason why this was so important, which is that people saw the film in theaters with other people within a community. And I think I've gotten so many emails where people were so moved, um, Asian people, for example, because they as they're watching the film, they're seeing themselves represented on screen. They really resonate with it. And they're thinking, oh my God, there's a lot of white people here. They're not going to get this at all. And then to kind of look around and everybody's crying and laughing. And it's one, it's a really communal experience. So it feels, you know, just very emotional to, 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 to have this sort of catharsis of emotion in a room full of people. Um, but I think it was also educational for a lot of Asian people to go, wow, they're looking at me and my family on screen and they get it and they're relating to it. And they wouldn't know that, you know, sitting at home watching it on a digital screen. And I think also a lot of people, you know, they might also get scared off by the subtitles. Um, and so not only are Asian Americans seeing themselves represented on screen, they're seeing people who are not Asian Americans seeing them on screen and reacting with emotion. And I think that's so powerful. It makes me feel better as a podcaster knowing that you kind of brought this mammoth press tour on yourself a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, yeah. So I can't really complain about yeah, exactly. it. It's like, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Okay, so we end up there talking about uh, the opportunity to see this film in cinemas. Stephen, you mentioned uh, after a previous cinema trip to Four Summer um, that you just had to leave the building straight away because of your emotional reaction to it. And Kelly, mm -hmm. I feel like maybe after seeing this film at the cinema, you maybe would have done the same thing. Well, well, firstly, I needed to use the the whole extent of the of the closing credits to compose myself. <laughs> yeah, Kelly did the opposite. Kelly stayed. I stayed. Until <laughs> stayed everyone, until everyone left. left. <laughs> yeah, I just couldn't. I, I couldn't compose myself. And then and then when I came outside to see everyone, I was just like, I can't talk. <laughs> Don't talk to me. Um, yeah, it was just really, really. It it touched me. Well, first because I'm living in a different country. Um, I'm I'm far away from home and from my family and this and from my gran specifically, 
and Nainai kind of reminded me about reminded me of my gran. Um, Justin, she's very cheeky, my granny. Um, <clears throat> and so it hit me. So I think, yeah, I, I just, I really related to the story. And as much as it is about, you know, it's very specifically about the Asian American experience, the Chinese American experience, and about her, Billy being, you know, and the first generation growing up in America and having to deal with that. And, and, and it's all about her identity and crisis as she sort of tries to navigate this process of grief and 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 re, the rejoining of her family because it's also you know a thing that that the the, the brothers the two sons of of the night of Nai Nai had both left China uh, to seek uh, opportunities for their families so the other brother's been living in Japan i think for many years and this is the first time that the family's come back together properly um for this wedding it's not a fake wedding it's just <laughs> Mm. It's a real wedding, but they've just mm. uh, they've concocted it for the purpose of. Yeah, I actually hadn't um, thought about this idea that this that that touched upon this idea that this tragic kind of um, event of of uh, of kind of the matriarch of the family uh, becoming seriously ill does become. A, uh, a rejoining of the family. Yeah, it's yeah. like the one inst- the one thing that can get them to all come back together again. And also, they went different directions. So you know, Billy's family went to America. They went ver- they west, and they had to integrate to a Western uh, culture. Whereas the other brother went east. He went to Japan. You know, and they have also a very different culture, but it's it's, it's so different to the Westerners as well. So then when they rejoin, it is kind of like they're all trying to find, figure out like where they stand and like, especially morally with what happens with Nai Nai. Mm. Yeah, yeah but they and- say that there's the thing about um, in America, everyone's life is their own and everyone's like an individual and everyone's like, this is my life, I'll do what I want with it. Whereas more Eastern cultures, your life is part of a collective and it's like, it's everyone's say what you do with your life and, you know, how you how you deal with big things like this. It's not just up to one person. It's up to this this collective, this family, this community. Mm. And although, like, Kelly, I don't have that experience that you have. Obviously, I, I don't have any experience being part of an Eastern family. Um, the film does spend a lot of its time educating as well. Um, like, I think it won't be a surprise to learn that there is a lot of just white Western people that are going to the cinema to watch this film and connecting with it Um in a very simple way, um, I don't think it's going to alienate people at all. Yeah, I, I mean, I do have a lot of experience with being close to people who are from kind of an, an Eastern background, but have spent um, kind of the majority of their life in a Western country. And it's a, such a palpable thing for them. Um, it, I'm very distanced from it, so I'm no expert by any means, but it's such a palpable thing and it's very hard. It's very difficult to to make that a reality in a film. Um, and to make people build a bridge to it and make people empathise. But this film goes such a long way to doing that, which is what makes it so uh, kind of um, emotionally available to people. Mm. Well, it's also, it's a universal at the heart mm-hmm. of it, right? It's, so it is about exploring these these identity crises and, and different cultures and exploring, you know, what they do with it and the moral questions that come up. And, they di- and I think that um, Wong does that in such a... Uh, subtle way I don't think anything is like bashing you over the head with things I think there's exposition but I think necessarily I don't think she I think my favourite aspect of the film or at least the funniest part of this what we're talking about this divide is the bit with the kind of um, the the 
guy taking her suitcases up to her room. Oh, yeah. When he's uh, like, yeah, yeah, but where's better, America or yeah, China? Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> She's like, I don't know. Yeah, different. Exactly. They're just different. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, she keeps saying that yeah. over and over again. Just different, just, just different. different. That's yeah. kind of the, the movie, right? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. It's exactly. not making an argument as to what's better or no, worse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, well, and, I, and I was sorry, just to wrap up what I was saying, is that, that everybody can relate to this story. It really is for any anybody. Yeah, and um, stylistically, uh, I think it, it's trying to like straddle uh, inspirations from those different sides of the world as well. Anna Franquesa Solano, who's the cinematographer on the film, uh, who cited Force Majeure, uh, the Ruben Oslin one from a few years ago now, and Corriere's Still Walking as influences, which I think is really interesting. Um, I don't see so much in the in the Force Majeure, but Still Walking, which is very much a film um, focused on family dynamics, relatively melodramatic actions, but placed within uh, a very kind of calm, simpler environment um, that would almost excuse the level of drama that the central event is actually about um you almost get lulled into the film and it's only about 70 minutes in that you kind of figure out why everyone's there and there's actually quite a pivotal event at the center of it but it's the way that the film frames family and food and conversation that i think is really key and i can absolutely see that influence from the cinematography you watch people eating dinner in this and you might as well be sat next to them. You are totally enveloped within that experience. Yeah, I think it's really difficult to make a um, a film about a different culture where you can see elements of your own family in this one. And it's such a big kind of family that Billy has. And, you know, in a way we are kind of... Still Walking's a, a really quite a challenging film at points, but also a really rewarding one. And I think this being a far more American film than it is a Asian film, um, it has a little bit more kind of an of an expository script where we are kind of. Um, you have to establish the rules of the game. Yeah, uh, it, it establishes and... the rules for sure. Um, and the characters, you know, we do find a lot out about them, and we do because at the start you do kind of question, like it's not you. You kind of think it's not okay to lie to this woman that she's. Mm. Yeah. She's well, I think the dying. film does a really good job of fusing you with Billy. And it's like, okay, this is your eyes and ears for this film. And Aquafina is such a good kind of um, conduit for the audience in this film. She's incredible in this. Mm-hmm. She's so... And she started off as a, as a rapper, is that right? Yeah, she did. Yeah. Mm. And her, the, her career trajectory is insane. Well, I, and, and the films prior to this that people would have seen her in a Ocean's 8 and Crazy, Crazy Rich, Rich Asians, Asians, which are quite heightened totally characters. Yeah, she's, yeah. she's turned all up to 11 in this, and here she's so dialed back, but she's, she's still got that kind of that gravelly voice that is so... It just fits her so well, but it, it's also really weird to describe that to someone. Mm. Yeah, and that kind of like... Quite a, I think it's a New York accent as well, right? Yeah, she's got like quite, quite a, a heavy New York, a heavy accent. New York accent, yeah. which plays into the whole like kind of being so separate from yeah. from the kind of Eastern culture as well. But no, it's for me. We, we talked about a bit about this in the interview, but it's her physicality. It's the way she slumps over. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, it's the way she kind her of clothes are so baggy as well. Yeah, everything she wears is really yeah. badly fitting. <laughs> yeah, and she just feels like a person who can't let go of uh, her emotions, um, or at least can't kind of shrug them off and just enjoy mm. herself, or or you know, um, find a way to deal with it, which is why when her nine-eye brings out her happiness, you kind mm. of you you get the relationship between them, and that's down to 
Aquafina's performance, which I just think is amazing, really yeah. took me by surprise. Nine was also stellar. You like a bit of Nine. I love Nine. <laughs> I think <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a total of about fifteen key cast members here, yeah. and wrestling that many people across, well, two sides of the globe with a writer who doesn't actually know how to read or write Chinese. And then a team of filmmakers that are out in China who may not necessarily speak English as well. I think that like the production alone on this mm. is incredible. And the fact that you come out of it at the other end feeling like everything feels like it's authentic. Like It doesn't feel like this is some mistranslation like we might often find with mm. um, like th- these these films that w- will often flip between languages and things like that. Um, it's a, it's a properly lived-in thing. That's a good point about all the characters. I don't really think about that. For a film that's, let's say it's around 90 minutes, there is a good, like, 10, 15 individual characters that are fully formed, they, have they significant have amounts journey. of dialogue. They each have their own journey, yeah. yeah. It's very how, how does that fit? How does that get crammed in without Great feeling filmmaking. crammed? Yeah. Well, yeah. well, your favourite character, Kelly, oh doesn't God. even have a line, really. <laughs> like, <laughs> occasionally, but would you want to talk about him oh a little bit? God, the cousin that's forced to get married. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so, it's like physical comedy. He's so funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, this film is funny. Like, it's not all... It's oh, I suppose, a, yeah, we have made... Yeah, they've we made it sound yeah, like a drab yeah, family yeah, drama. It's really, it's really funny. funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. and, and, yeah, she, she, she just does such a good job of giving everybody their moment. And he gets a great moment. Um, at the wedding, they're playing this, like, drinking game. And I love the way that it's shot. And every time the camera comes back to him, he's just more, more drunk. drunk. <laughs> it's so good. And he, he's the one who can't contain his emotions. Like, he cries all the time. Yeah. <laughs> like, the mother... Um, um, Billy's mom and dad keep telling her like no you can't come because you, you're not you're not going to be able to keep it a secret and it's him who's breaking yeah. down every moment it's funny because we do follow Billy but yeah you're right uh, Sam and Jake you both said about all these other characters they're just um, each one of them is going we could have easily followed the cousin yeah he's the one getting married in this, yeah. this well, marriage this and, staged and marriage it, and it goes back to what Sam was saying uh, that that is mentioned in the film that in a Western film, this would have been solely Billy's story mm. because that's what you do in America. Um, you are your person. Uh, and this is China. So, as the film says, you are everyone else as mm. well. You are the family unit. Yeah, uh, not uh, not the only film to deal with kind of collective grief this uh, summer either. If anyone remembers a little flick called Midsummer. Oh. Uh, oh yeah, another film that deals with kind of uh, shouldering other people's burdens. Avengers Endgame as well, I think. Actually, <laughs> yeah, best time for that. yeah, yeah. I think you know Avengers right. Endgame. I've, uh, is that the one we were talking about earlier? Yes, I've put it on my watch list. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, well, we should probably wrap up on the farewell. I think this is totally ones for um, fans of like Coriada, who we've already mentioned. Um, anyone who was curious uh, to see Aquafina kind of. Uh, flex the muscles a bit more than um, may have, she may have done in Ocean's Eight or Crazy Rich Asians, um, and yeah, it's it's the kind of uh, kind of mid-budget film that's not really getting made anymore. Uh, so is so is well worth seeking out. And as we heard in the interview, uh, Lulu Wong was very passionate about getting this film in cinemas rather than just putting it straight on streaming. Uh, so do try and see it whilst you can. But if you do want to see something on streaming. Yes, yes. You can do so on Curzon Home Cinema. You can do so on Curzon Home Cinema. So some of the highlights that are new this week, we have Beats, uh, which is the black and white film about the rave scene in Scotland in the 90s, which is a lot of fun. Uh, We have Thunder Road, the Jim Cummings debut film based on his short film, which is also really fun. And then we've got High Life, 
which we discussed on the show and spoke to Claire Denis herself. Yeah, uh, and really all three of those films could just be Bruce Springsteen song titles as well as Thunder Road, I think. <laughs> they definitely could. Yeah, this is my beats. <laughs> I laugh. <laughs> Oh These yeah, are my beats. Yeah. These are my beats. <laughs> Classic Bruce Springsteen line. Oh, 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 these are my beats. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Dr. Dre has recruited him for yes. his headphones. Uh, like yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's actually going to appear in Western Stars, which is part of the London Film Festival, isn't it? <laughs> yes, um, and you can catch the, some some screenings of the London Film Festival at. Um, Mayfair and Soho. So tickets are available. Book your tickets if you want to see some LFF shows. It's going to be good. Absolutely. Do not miss it. Uh, 10 days of cinema in the capital that you do not want to miss out on. Uh, if you've got any thoughts on The Farewell or for Samma, do let us know by tweeting uh, Curzon Cinemas and or let us know individually. You can follow us there. Uh, I'm Jake H. Cunningham. Stephen, you're on Twitter as? Uh, Irma Pep. Irma underscore Pep. Kelly? KS underscore Powell. And Sammy, you're there as? Sam Powell underscore one. He's got it right the first time. Well done, mate. If it's your first time listening to the show, do subscribe. You can do it on iTunes, Acast, wherever you got your podcasts. And if you're there, leave us a review or a comment. That would be absolutely wonderful. But we must bid the farewell. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.